Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. Lord Jesus, help me. I need your help. Holy Spirit, fill me. I pray that only what is from your word and your heart and your mind would come out of my mouth in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you give me clarity of thought and eloquence of speech. I pray, Lord, for your anointing in this house and through me. I pray, Lord God, that every ear in this house would hear, every heart would understand, and every mind would know you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would transform us through your word. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Amen. So we've been talking about the fear of the Lord, and just like, uh, just like Bo was saying, this has been working on me. I don't know if you realize this, but when I, when I prepare a sermon, I prepare about three times the amount of stuff that I share with you. So whatever you're getting, like I'm getting grilled three times the amount, and the Lord's been working on me in, in really powerful ways, and it's been so good for me. I'm so grateful for what the Lord's been doing. I also know I've heard some grumblings that there are a few people that disagree with me, and that's okay. That's completely fine. I'm I'm not Jesus. So what I recommend is you go to Jesus. There are 200 verses on the fear of the Lord in this scripture. So if if there's something that you don't agree with, this is what we do. This is noble. Go to the word of God, search out 200 verses, and see what you think it says, okay? I invite you to do it. I think it's a good thing to do. And and by the way, I, I don't expect you to revere my opinion. We respect other people's opinions. We revere the word of the Lord, right? I respect your opinion. I can love you and respect your thoughts, but I revere the word of God. And, and that's what we're talking about today. The fear of the Lord is to revere the word of God. Another way to say that, the fear of the Lord is to tremble at the word of God. The fear of the Lord has so many benefits that come along with it. I just want to read you real quickly. I was reading this this week, and I'm going to do it in the New King James because in the New King James Version, it specifically addresses men. And I know that that word men is translated people in the NIV, in the New Living Translation. But I want to talk to you. If you're a man, stick your hand in the air. All right, this is for you. Ready? This is Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commands. This is, this is really interesting. This is, this is equating these two things. This is very important to understand. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commands. A person who fears the Lord delights in his commands. A person who doesn't fear the Lord dismisses his commands. You hear me? To fear the Lord is to delight in what he says. That's what this is saying. Now watch this. It says, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generations of the upright will be blessed. I want that. How about you? Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. I want that. Under the upright, there there arises light in the darkness. He's gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously. He lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. I want that. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. When you fear the Lord, you don't have to be afraid of anything else. Right? Remember us saying that? He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast. That means someone who fears the Lord doesn't have to be anxious. Isn't that powerful? His heart is established. He will not be afraid. Again, until he sees his desires upon his enemies, which means the devil's under your foot. 
He's dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. That means he'll have influence. A man who fears the Lord will have influence in his family and will have influence in his community. The wicked will see it and be grieved. Oh, I like that. The wicked will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. I want you to notice something. All these benefits come along with a person, a man who fears the Lord. Guys, anybody want all that stuff? This is not a mystery. It's like God is saying, here, you want these things? This is how this begins in your life. This is how this becomes operational in your life. But today, what I, want to no- what I want us to notice is that the fear of the Lord is connected with something. A, a sure telling of whether or not I have the fear of the Lord is how I respond to his commands. I know I have the fear of the Lord when I respond quickly and obediently to his commands. I know I do not have the fear of the Lord when I dismiss his commands. You understand? Okay, I'm going to read this too, but first of all, I'm going to pray. This, the title of this sermon, by the way, is called Zach is Scatterbrained. No, it's a, the title of this sermon is To Fear the Lord is to Tremble at His Word. Anybody want to tremble at His Word? You can, tremble in, you can tremble because you're scared, you can tremble because something's awesome, or you can tremble because, because you're famished. Have you ever been so hungry you started to get shaky? Your, 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 your blood sugar got low? I want to tremble because I'm hungry for the, for the word of God. But I also want to tremble because I'm in awe of the word of God. Because I'm not just looking at a book here. I'm looking at something that's more powerful than any book that's ever been written. This thing has the ability to accomplish anything because it's the Lord speaking through this to me. Now watch this. This is Isaiah 66 verse 2. My hands have made both the heavens and the earth and and everything in them are mine. That's God speaking, obviously not me. Now watch this. He says, I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay, stop. If someone were to tell you, God just spoke, would you be interested in what he had to say? God just spoke to me. What did he say? What he's saying is, I have spoken, and this is what the world has done. We have looked at what he has said and we have disregarded it as though it doesn't mean anything anymore. What if I were to tell you he's still speaking? Would you be interested to hear what he has to say? And when you weigh it, would you weigh it against the opinions of men, and would you respect it at the same level? Or would you say, people, humanity, I respect what you think, I respect your opinion, but I revere the word of God. I respect your thoughts, but I tremble when he speaks right? I have spoken, he says. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. Check that out. Verse 3, but this is the opposite of trembling at his word. But those who choose their own way, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offering accepted. Choosing my own way is the opposite of trembling at his word. Guys, are you hearing me? This is our, we have a problem right now. We think that our opinion is somehow equal to God's. We weigh the opinions of our politicians and our sports stars equal to the Lord. Or, more importantly, 
to have more gravity than the Lord. You know what that is? That is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. That is being dismissive of the word of God. That's choosing to go my own way. The fear of the Lord means I delight in his commands. Going my own way means I delight in my sin. That's what this says. In verse four, I will send them great trouble, all the things they fear. All right, pause and think about that for a second. We just read Psalm 112. It says, if you fear the Lord, you will not be afraid of anything. Now we're reading, if you don't fear the Lord, you will experience everything you fear. Whoa, hold on. So if I fear God, I don't have to be afraid of anything. But if I don't fear God, I'm going to experience everything I fear. Hello? Anybody want that? I'm not making this, this sounds terrible. Yeah, that sounds like the worst thing ever. Don't sign me up for that. But this is the direction all of our hearts go. All of our hearts lean towards the elevation of our own opinions. Watch this. For they called, for when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they did not listen. That means they ignored me. They dismissed my calling. They deliberately sinned before my very eyes and chose to do what they know I despise. Now watch this. Hear this message from the Lord, all you who tremble at his word. Who in this house wants to tremble at his word? Yeah? Then listen to what he's saying today. I want a blessed life. I want to have blessed kids. I want to have a blessed community. I want to have a blessed America. The only way to do it is for the men and women of the church to decide that they're going to tremble at his word. Because if we don't, this is what we get. And the Lord's like, choose. Oh, man. What does it mean to tremble at his word? This is uh, John Bevere. Did anybody pick up that book, The Awe of the Lord? Yeah, it's good, right? Uh, So I encourage you guys, read the 200 verses in here and then pick up John Bevere's uh, The Awe of God. It's really good. He says, the person who trembles at his word exalts what God says above anything else. Nothing is more important. It is the true evidence of holy fear. This person is most blessed. The true evidence of whether or not I fear the Lord is whether or not I elevate what he says above all the other voices, all the noise. And and this is what we do instead. We read the word and we say, oh, that was for back then. Oh, that's an ancient command. That doesn't apply to us anymore. You, you know what people, I've heard people say this. Oh, we're, we're morally evolved. What? Have you looked around you? We invent sin. How is that morally evolved? If anything, we're morally devolved. If, if anything, we're going in the opposite direction. In fact, God even says, you guys invent ways of sinning that I never even thought of. That's messed up. We are not morally evolved. We're absolutely morally corrupt. If we don't submit to his ways, we don't know how to do anything well. We're a bunch of jack wagons. To tremble at his word. Oh, by the way, I I just want to give you some numbers real quick. I was was doing some research, and this is 2021 numbers, so it's a little bit old. In 2021, 53% of Americans said that they used the Bible. 53. Of those 53%, 80% only get the amount of word that they receive from church when they go on Sundays. So of the 53% who use the word of God, 80% are only getting like what I just read you. They're not even cracking it for themselves. 
not even reading the word for themselves. And this is, this, the word says, this is how you're blessed. How you're blessed is by venerating and revering this, what the Lord has spoken. And if you don't, there are curses that come on your country. There are curses that come on your family. And we don't even crack it. And of those 80% that only hear the word here and the 50% that, that use it at all, only 8% do what it says. That's in our country. You will look around you and you wonder why we're, why we're facing moral decay, political decay. Why, why, why are we facing spiritual decay? Because only 8% of Christians read the scripture and do what it says. I want a revival. I want a great awakening. And the way you begin a great awakening is by getting on your knees before the Lord and say, I will tremble at your voice and no other voice, cracking this open and say, what do you have to say to me, Lord? I'll do it. There is no other way to it. That's the way. You guys doing all right today? Trembling at the word makes me, to dismiss the word means that I don't respond to it. To tremble at his word means I'm quick to respond to it. When the Lord tells you to do something, how long do you argue with him before you do it? Have you ever done that? Have you ever wrestled with God? Who wins? <laughs> when, uh, when our children were little, um, we were trying to decide how we're going to train them up, and we came across this Mennonite method for training up your children. And the Mennonites believe that training up your children, when you train your children to obey your voice, you're training them to obey God's voice. So the, the Mennonites want their kids to obey immediately without question. Because if they will obey their father immediately without question, then when they realize God is their father, they'll obey him immediately without question. So they teach them that if you want to know why, the answer to why is always an offline conversation. When your parents tell you to do something, you don't say, why? Listen, Americans, we think we have a right to all the answers. And when God tells us to do something, we think, I'll obey you as soon as you explain to me why I should obey you. That's not how faith works. And that's not how the fear of the Lord works. So we trained our kids to obey us immediately. And I'll tell you something, almost every one of my kids' lives have been saved because they listen to their father's voice and they obey immediately. Samuel, my youngest, is 10 years younger than Simeon, my oldest, and so he'd play with the big kids all the, all the time. One day the kids were playing outside in the front yard and a ball got away from them and it went rolling towards the street. Well, our street is a thoroughfare and so vehicles go zooming through that street. That ball went rolling down towards the street and my two and a half year old Sam went running after the ball. And as I saw the ball going into the street and my son going towards the ball, I saw a big black Suburban zooming down the street speeding. That, listen, if that Suburban hit my son, it would be like a bug hitting my windshield. He would pop. So he goes running down towards the street and I go, Sam, stop. And like, this is the edge. He ran up and goes, Ert! and the car goes, boom. If he hadn't learned to heed his father's voice immediately, I wouldn't have a, younger, a youngest son right now. That's happened over and over and over again. So many of my kids are alive by the skin of their teeth just because they listened immediately. The fear of the Lord is to heed the Lord's voice and obey immediately, even if you don't understand why. We, we were down uh, one summer... 
we had some friends that had a place out in West Texas, and it's just desert. But right on this river, there's a pecan grove, and it's beautiful, and it's all shaded, and the grass is lush and green. So you can play out in the river, and you can play under the grass, and there's a cool breeze. It's just really pleasant in the heat of summer Texas hell to be able to go and to spend time in a place like that. So the first day, my kids are out in the water, and they're splashing around, and there's a rope swing, and they're swinging out on, into the river, and they're playing on paddle boats and stuff like that. The second day, the kids were getting ready to get in the water, and they were all like on the edge of the water, and they're poking around in the water and stuff. One of them's on the rope swing, swinging out over like this, back and forth, and they're about to step in when I hear one of the kids go, Daddy, come here. And I went over there, and there's, show them. This guy, five feet away. My kids had been swinging over its head. My kids were poking around in the water. They were about to step in. Guys, these are mean. If I see a rattlesnake, I might not kill it, but that thing's getting killed. If I see one of these things, it's getting killed. It'll chase you down to bite you. It'll get in your boat with you to bite you. Water moccasins are nasty. So I, I see this snake, and I say, everybody, stop. Don't move. And everybody goes, keek. And I said, take one slow step backwards and all my kids go they're all under 11 years old six kids under 11 and I said now everybody take another big step backwards half my kids didn't even see the snake they didn't even know it was there what they did know is their father's voice means life I went and got my gun and and somebody died that day I was using hollow points, and there were a bunch of sheep and llamas up on the hill, and I didn't want to skip the bullet off in order to hit any of the sheep, and so I kind of aimed down, and when I aimed down, the hollow point expanded, and the snake blew up into the air. We're all like, ah, because <laughs> it's raining water, moccasin. <clears throat> Listen, what would have happened if I'd said, everybody stop, and one of my kids said, why, Daddy, and walked into the water? To fear the Lord is to tremble at his word. There are so many times in the word of God that he doesn't explain. He tells Naaman, go dip seven times in, in the Jordan River. Naaman is, a, uh, Naaman is a leper. Why? Just do it. He, he tells Joshua, I want you to march for seven days around Jericho. Why? He doesn't explain why. Just do it. Jesus there's no wine in this, in this festival, in this wedding party. He tells the servants to go get a bunch of jugs and fill them up with water. Why? He doesn't explain it. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Why? He doesn't explain it. Go out for another fish. Go out in the middle of the day to go fishing. Why? He doesn't explain it. Listen, faith isn't going to explain itself to you. You're going to figure it out as you follow faith. That's how it works. I learn the why as I go. And, and you know what? You and I are just going to have to deal with this. There's sometimes God doesn't explain himself. There's sometimes you're not going to know until you get to heaven. In fact, most of the time, I'm not going to know until I get to heaven. Why? I don't know why. I don't really have any idea why. But I do understand this. That's the way it works. One of the biggest obstacles to the fear of the Lord is believing that God owes me an explanation before I have to obey him. If I, ex you feel attacked. <laughs> Good, bro. I wrote this with you in mind. 
his wife is thanking me. Thank me in the offering. <laughs> I know, that's terrible. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but you should give to the Lord. One of the biggest obstacles to the fear of the Lord is believing that God owes me an explanation before I'll obey. You know what that's saying to God? What I'm saying to God is, I'm actually your equal. So you need to prove it to me before I do what you say. When I have a Lord, I do what he says. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord means I've got a Lord, right? I have a Lord, and I, and I revere, I stand in awe of that Lord. So he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to explain anything to me. His wish is my command. That's the fear of the Lord. What would happen if we looked at the word of God like that? Do you believe this is more than a book? Did you know um, that when, when God gave Israel kings, he gave them a command that when they became kings, before they were allowed to do anything else, they had to sit down and write out the scripture by hand. Watch this. This is in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 19. It says, uh, when he sits on the throne, he must copy for himself this body of instructions. Now, that he's talking about the first five books of the, of the Bible, the Torah. On a scroll, in the presence of the Levitical priests, he must always keep the copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. This way he will learn to fear the Lord, his God, by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. Because God knows that if leaders don't revere the word, they don't revere God, and a nation falls into moral depravity. And so if you were going to be a king in Israel, the very first thing you had to do is hand write the scripture. Then you had to roll it up and you had to keep it on you like a sword every day of your life. And every night before you went to bed, you had to unroll it and read it. That's what kings do. That's what a good king does. But when uh, bad kings came along, like King Manasseh, he didn't do that. He disregarded the word of God, and the whole nation fell into corruption. I don't even know if you can imagine a nation that's this evil, but they were killing their own children. Can you imagine that? I don't know if you can imagine a nation this evil, but in the temple of God, they were accepting in the sexual perversions of the world and setting up idols and saying it's okay to worship by being uh, sexually deviant. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just talking about Israel. <laughs> so along comes this king. So for a generation, the word of God was missing from Israel. Then along comes this young king, Josiah. And this young king, Josiah, orders his priests to go into the temple and to clean it out because it's just piled with junk. It's piled with idols. It's piled with all kinds of things that are, that are detestable to God. And so he tells the priests, go in and clean out the house of God. When they clean out the house of God, one of the priests finds the scroll of the scripture. It had been buried in junk. For a generation, they didn't have the word of God. Can you imagine that? What would happen to a nation if they didn't have the word of God for a generation? You can read about it. They went to hell in a handbasket. I mean, the place was wicked. 
I want to read you what happens when he finds the scroll. This is in 2 Kings 22, 11 through 13. It says, when the king heard what was written in the, um, one of the priests found it, opened it, and read it, read it to him. It says, when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Skip down to 13. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that's been found for the Lord's Great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We've not been doing everything it says that we must do. Was, was Josiah trembling before the Lord? He ripped his clothes. He got down on the ground and he repented. And then he called the whole nation of Judah together and he read the word to them. And he said, people, today we are all dedicating ourselves to this word. He was convicted, he repented, and it led to one of the greatest revivals in the history of Judah. That meant there was a generation that had a chance because they turned back to the word. What would happen if we cleaned out the house of God? What would happen if we uncovered the word? What would happen if we brought it back out again and we started actually paying attention to it and reading it again? And, and you know, people go, I don't understand this. You know what, half the time I don't understand it either but I'm digging for gold here. Half the time I open it up and I go, God, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? Explain it to me. And you know what happens? A lot of times he explains stuff to me because he's looking for people to look for treasures in the dark. That's the people of God. The people of God treasure this. This isn't a comic book. This isn't a newspaper. This isn't a novel. This is the story of a people who wanted to know God and walk with him and a God who wanted to know his people and everything they went through in order to do it. That's what this story is. It's powerful. You guys with me today? Conviction leads to repentance, leads to awakening. Josiah believed that this was more than a book. Did, did you know that, that this is the most persecuted book in history? If this was just a work of literature, they wouldn't have murdered people and burned them at the stake by the thousands for having it. If, if this was just a work of literature, it wouldn't be the one work of literature that so many people have been trying to abolish and censor and disprove and discredit for the last hundred years. Why is this so persecuted? Did you know, I want to show you something. I want to show you this picture. Did you know that to this day there are 52 countries where it's illegal to own this? And if you own it, you can be persecuted, you can lose everything you own, you can be put in prison, you can be murdered, you can be killed, put to death. For, there's 52 countries on earth that you're not allowed to have this. Why? If this is just a book, why do 52 countries say you're not allowed to own one of them? Because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's why. This is the only thing that you can read that will set you free from everything else. This is the only thing that'll, that you can read that will give you a higher authority than your wicked king. This is the only thing that you can read that will give you a higher authority than yourself. It's more than a book. It's more than a manual. This is the word of God. That's why it's persecuted, and it's the most persecuted book in history. Do you want to know how many countries the Koran is banned in? Guess. Zero. Zero. Why? It's a good book. It's not the Word of God. If that offends you, get offended. It's the truth. Sorry. 
By the way, did you know that in Quran 3.3, Quran 3.3 says that the gospels are true? The Quran says that, 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 the, that the Bible's real. The Bible's true and you should listen to it. The Bible doesn't say the Quran's real, but the Quran does say that the Bible's real. That's interesting to me. The New Testament, when you read the New Testament, the New Testament is written by eyewitnesses. This is not something that somebody wrote who heard about it from somebody else. These people lived with Jesus. Matthew, John, Peter, these guys lived with Jesus. The ones who didn't live with Jesus lived the book of Acts. These were the first century church. When you're reading this, we think we're reading somebody, something somebody else researched out. These were the believers of the first century who knew Jesus, who saw the birth of the church. You're not just reading fiction. And it's been corroborated throughout history. Every time somebody tries to disprove it, guess what happens? Our, our, our archaeology catches up and disproves their disproof. Every single time. Nobody's been, been able to disprove it. This is corroborated. This would stand up in a court of law. That's just the New Testament. The Old Testament is a miracle. I could probably, we could do, a, a, we could do four sermon series just on the word of God and how, how much of a miracle it is. But let me tell you one of the miracles, okay? The first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. The first word in, oh, we call it the Pentateuch. The Jews call it the Torah. The first word in the Torah, which you read in the beginning, right, is Bereshit. Bereshit ends with the letter Tav, okay? The very first letter of the word Torah is Tav. If you take that letter and you skip 50 letters, you get the word Torah. It does that all the way through the book of Genesis. It says Torah, 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 all the way through the book, every 50 letters. You know what the word Torah means? It means instructions. You want to know how to live? Torah, 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 Torah. Here's your instructions. Now, that's amazing. The odds of that happening are flabbergasting. But the book of Exodus does it again. Every 50 letters, Torah, 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 Torah. That's mind-blowing. What are the odds of one book, of a human being doing that in one book? Almost nothing. What are the odds of a human being doing it in two books? Now, if you skip the third book and you go to Numbers and Deuteronomy, it says Torah every 49 letters backwards. Torah, 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 Torah. The first two books are pointing in this direction and say instructions. The, the, the fourth and the fifth book are saying Torah instructions and pointing this way. And right in the middle is Leviticus. Leviticus are the instructions to the priest on how to meet God. And the whole book of Leviticus is actually a symbol of Jesus Christ and how Israel is going to be saved through the Messiah. And if you take every seven letters in the book of Leviticus, it says Yahweh, 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 every seven letters. Now, you know, we didn't even know this until we had computers because nobody could figure it out. When we got computers, people started running the Hebrew scripture through computers and started figuring out, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoever wrote this is a gene, is more brilliant than Einstein. Whoever wrote this is more brilliant than Einstein. You know why? Because the person who wrote this invented Einstein. Yeah. I have spoken. 
I want you to know something about the first five books of the Bible. And that's not even counting the rest of them. It's perfect. For 3,000 years, people, people say, oh, well, every time the scribes, you know, transcribed it, they got letters wrong, they got words wrong. That's not true. That's a lie. It's perfect. There's not one letter out of place, and there hasn't been for more than 3,000 years. This is the only book in the world like this. Why? Because it wasn't written by a dude. No dude has that kind of patience. This is the word of God. Isaiah 66, 2. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have a humble and contrite heart who tremble at my word. What if this is really God speaking? Are you going to weigh your opinion as equal to his? What if the church revered the word over our own way? I want to tell you, um, I came to know the Lord through the fear of the Lord. I didn't come to know the Lord through the love of God. He eventually led me to the love of God, but I came to, to, to know God through fear and trembling. I've told you a little bit about of my story, but I, but I want to tell you in context of this, okay? Um, a, a lot of you have heard the way I got saved. I literally had demons. I had serious problems. I couldn't control myself. And one of the reasons I couldn't control myself is because there are other spiritual inhabitants taken up home inside of me, and they were manipulating and controlling me. And I knew I had problems, but I didn't know what to do with them. I had terrible anger issues. I would see red. I was violent. Um, and I was scared to death that I was going to kill somebody that I cared about. Uh, I was engaged to this girl that I really loved, and I'm gonna, I always call her Val. That's not her actual name, but I, I'm going to call her Val. And she got pregnant. And most of you have heard this before, but I just want you to hear what the word has to do with this, okay? She got pregnant. Now, when I was little, my mom used to put on Bible tapes in the hallway when we were sleeping. She was trying to get us to fall asleep, but she was also seeding the word of God inside of us. She was planting seeds, and I didn't really pay attention to it. It was just playing, and then I'd fall asleep. What I didn't realize was it was planting inside of me, and the word of God was coming to get me. I didn't know it, but the word of God was hunting me down. The Holy Spirit was using the word to hunt me down. So Val got pregnant, and I got scared, and I took her in to get an abortion. We went into the abortion clinic, and, and, and I was in the procedure room with her, and she was laying out on the table, and I was holding her hand, and the doctor began to do the procedure. And as I'm holding her hand, and a tear runs down her face, I had a flashback to when I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, I was lonely. We moved all the time because my dad was in the army, and I really wanted some kind of love that would last. I lost all my friends over and over and over again. And I didn't feel like I had anyone. So I was laying there about to move again. And the, the only prayer I remember in my whole life, I prayed, God, would you give me a woman who will love me unconditionally? I don't know why I prayed that. I was like 10 years old. Give me a woman who will love me unconditionally. It's a good prayer, by the way. And a son. Those are the only two things I ever remember asking God for. So I'm standing there beside Val. She's laying out at the table, and I could hear this, the sound of my child being sucked out through a tube. I know that's gross, but that's the reality. And as I'm holding her hand, 
I remember that moment. And for the first time in my life, I realized the only two things I've ever asked God for, I was destroying at the same time. And I felt convicted for the first time in my life. Now, I, now I know a lot of people in this, in this room have experienced uh, abortion. And I'm not judging you for this. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just telling you how the Lord spoke to me, okay? When I felt that, the only two things I've ever asked God for in my life, I'm destroying at the same time. You know what flashed through my head? Deuteronomy 5.17. Look at this. Thou shalt not kill. I hadn't been reading that. My mom had been seeding that inside of me when I was a little kid. That was inside of me from the time I was a little kid. What on earth? I'm holding her hand, and I was just shaken. I didn't even know what had happened to me. For the first time, I felt convicted. And I tell you what, it almost drove me crazy because I knew that God wanted something for me, and I had no idea what to do about it. Our relationship fell apart. I started trying to read the word, but the word to me didn't make any sense because the Holy Spirit wasn't explaining it to me. So I just felt, listen, I knew I was going to hell. I knew that I was going to hell, and I knew I deserved it, not just from that moment, but from all the accumulated moments in my life. But if it, if it had only been that moment, I knew somehow in my heart that would have been enough. I deserved to pay for that. I was going to go to hell. So I'm reading the scripture trying to find, what do I do about this? And all I'm seeing is conviction, 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 conviction. In the middle of this time, I moved in with two other girls. I wasn't even living holy. I was trying to figure out how to make it go away. We try to deafen, we try to mute the voice of God. We mute the voice of God with our entertainment and with our drugs and with our shopping. Distract myself so I don't have to hear him. Just do anything to make him shut up, make him go away. Stop the noise, stop it in my heart. I couldn't stop it. So one day, um, one of my ex-girlfriends comes to visit me. Now, by the way, I, I know I've been telling stories about girls, but that's because this is where I was when I got saved, okay? I wasn't a gangbanger. I didn't do a lot of drugs or anything. I just had a girl problem. I had a serious girl problem. So this, this girl that I had been dating shows up, and the reason she'd broken up with me is because she told me God wanted her to break up with me. So I was already ticked off with God about the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't want I was, get your own girlfriend, God. So she, she had left me years before, you know, to follow God. And she married a pastor. It's like, what the heck? This girl marries a pastor. And what I didn't know when she came to see me is that they were having relationship problems. And she had come to see me because she wanted to have an affair. So she comes into my apartment and she starts being flirty and stuff like that. When I finally realized what's going on, something happened inside of my head. I remembered the story of David, the story of David who would not lift a finger against the Lord's anointed. And I realized this is the wife of a man of God. I already deserve to go to hell. What's going to happen if I touch the wife of a man of God? And so I took her by the hand and I led her out the door and I brought her to her pickup truck and I opened the door to the pickup truck and she leaned up and she gave me a big kiss and guess what, th what went through my head? Deuteronomy 5, 18. <laughs> Glad you asked. Deuteronomy 5, 18. Neither, not only thou shalt not kill, but neither shalt thou commit adultery. Do -do That shook me. Neither shalt thou commit adultery. 
what's going on? I picked her up and put her in the pickup truck and said, go home to your husband, goodbye. By the way, throughout my life, I've not always been good at doing stuff like that. What's happening? God had sent the Holy Spirit to begin to work the fear of the Lord inside of my heart. God was beginning to draw me to himself. Listen, it was his love, but it didn't feel like it. It felt like the fear of the Lord. It felt like trembling at his word. What if there's a real God and I ticked him off? What if there's a real God and every time I turn around, I'm doing what he told me not to do? I'll tell you, if that's the truth, I'm going to hell. I'm going straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. I'm going to hell. He was doing something inside of me. Look at this in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, therefore, my dear friends, did you know that you're his friends? In fact, the Bible says the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them. He says, therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What he was doing inside of my heart is he was working out my salvation with fear and trembling. He was working me towards the finish line. And even after I got saved, I've spent the last 25 years with God working out my salvation with fear and trembling, growing me. It says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This was the Holy Spirit working in me before I knew God. So one day when, when Val called me back and I still loved her and my heart was broken and I was shaken to pieces and I knew I deserved hell, she called me up and she was so depressed. She'd been drunk for three days and came out of it in some guy's bed she didn't know. And she just wanted to kill herself. And I didn't, I didn't really want to live either. And so I went, out to the, I went out to the art museum, the Laguna Gloria, and laid in the grass in Austin, Texas. And I told God, I know you're trying to get my attention, but I don't love you. I love her. And if she's going to go to hell, I want to go to hell too. And when I said that, it's okay, baby doll. sweetie if she's going to go to hell I want to go to hell too and when I said that a light appeared in the sky in the middle of summer that was brighter than the sun and it descended down completely surrounded me in the midst of the light there was a figure who was so bright he was blinding and I just finished saying if she's going to go to hell I want to go to hell too and he said that's how much I love you and then Jesus shared the gospel with me. Hey, I want to tell you something. He didn't have to show up and, and say, Zach, I'm Jesus. I don't know if you know that. As soon as he started to speak, it was like his words pierced my cells. It, it was like every time he spoke, it was moving right through me. My flesh literally trembled at his word. When he spoke, it shook me. And when he, and when he said a word, it was like a hundred words. It was like it was unrolling understanding inside of me. And he shared the gospel with me. And I want to tell you something. The gospel that Jesus shared with me is the exact same gospel that you can read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
It's the exact same story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when he said that, I said, if you love me that much, I'll do anything you want me to for the rest of my life. I can't spit in the face of that kind of love anymore. And in that moment, I became a Christian because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Lord was using his word to shake me all the way up to the finish line. And even in that moment in his presence, he spoke the word and it shook me. This This is what he said. This is what I heard him say. This is what I believed in that moment. I didn't understand all of it, but I understood that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I understood that there is no one righteous, not even one. I understood that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I understood that he loved me so much, the Father, that he gave his only begotten Son, that if I believed in him, I would not perish, but I'd have everlasting life. And I know that in that very moment, I went from someone who was headed to hell to a person who was secure in the arms of a Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the fear of the Lord that led me to the love of the Lord. And that's still the way it works today. It's the fear of the Lord that leads us to the love of the Lord. People of God, what if this is not just a book? What if this has the power to transform lives, to bring kings to their knees? What if this ha has the power to turn orphans into sons? What if this has the power of salvation? Because it's not just a book, it's the word of God. I wanna invite you today to tremble at the word again. I wanna invite you today to, to choose that you're gonna revere what God says and not just respect it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now some of you are going, what, 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 what do I even do about that? Let me, let me tell you, the first thing you do, get one. The very first thing you do, get one. Get one that you can understand. The, the, the new translations are all taken from the original uh, the original languages, you can read the NIV, you can read the New Living Translation, the New American Standard Bible, all of those are good, just don't read the message. You can read it, but you gotta understand the message isn't the translation. So if you get the message, the message is a paraphrase, it's a man translating from the word. All the rest of them are translations from the original languages. So get one of these. What do I do next, Zach? What do I do next after I get one? The next thing you do is you open it. And you do that on a daily basis and you begin reading. I don't know where to read. Start with Matthew, start with Mark, start with Luke, start with John. Start with John. They knew Jesus Christ. Start at the very beginning. My brother's father-in-law got saved reading the first line of the Bible over and over again. Start in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5 is the 10 commandments. Start in the book of Proverbs. Did you know that there's 31 Proverbs? There's a proverb for every day of the month. You can read a proverb one on the first day. You can read Proverbs two on the second day. And if we just listened to Proverbs, we'd be wiser people, but we a bunch of fools because we don't read the book of Proverbs and we don't submit to the wisdom that God has provided for us. These are the instructions. We're putting together Lego sets without reading the instructions. That's crazy. Submit yourself to it. When I opened the word, I, I got this from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 
his dad opens up, opens up and he's, he's, he's writing in his journal. He's copying some scripture and he says, may, may he who illuminated this illuminate me. And when I open the Bible, that's the first thing that I say. I say, may he who illuminated this illuminate me. And then he starts to talk to me. And I remember where I was. I remember who I was. And I can see who I'm becoming and who I have become. And I love him for it. So I tremble at his word. I delight in his commands. Would you close your eyes with me? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.